Welcome, welcome. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and it is such a gift to have you with us here today. We're so honored. If it's your first time, I just want to thank you so much for being here today. You picked a great Sunday to join us. Before I get into the series, uh, we're talking parables. It's a new series called Help Me Understand. Pastor Mikey brought an incredible message last Sunday on the Good Samaritan, and, uh, and I can't wait to share with you today. But I want to let you know that today is your last chance. Next week, life group signups begin, you guys. Life group signups. So many of you have been asking me, when are life groups going to start? When do they start? They are starting soon. Life group signups begin next week, which means today is the last week to sign up to lead a life group. Now, I know a lot of you have been on the fence and thinking about it. You've kind of had that every time we announce it, talk about it. You're a little uncomfortable inside because you think, maybe. Maybe I should lead a life group. I don't know. Maybe I will. Or, or maybe you keep saying, yes, I'm definitely going to lead one, but you're just one of those people. You're not going to put pen to paper until the pressure is on, until the last quarter comes in. That's when you're like, put me in, coach. Let's go. And it's now. It's your time. We need you to sign up to lead a life group. Life groups are such a crucial part of our church and really such a big piece of our vision and what it is we aim to do as a church. We believe life happens in community. That's why we call them life groups. We believe that you find freedom in the context of community, and that's one of God's biggest dreams for you, is that you would be completely free. And all of that happens in that, in that setting. And so if you have, have been on the fence about it, or thinking about it, or you already decided that you would, let me just encourage and even ask you to sign up to lead a life group. You don't have to be the best host in the world. You don't have to have it all figured out. You don't have to, maybe you don't even feel qualified. Why don't you just sign up, come talk to us, and we'll talk about it together. I think there's far more of you that are qualified to lead a life group than you realize here in this room. And so join us in that. And then next week, sign up to join a life group. Everybody else get in a life group. It's going to be a great season for that. And, uh, and we can't wait to be in community together. Well, we're in this, this uh, series called Help Me Understand right now. Help Me Understand. And it's all about the parables of Jesus. Uh, let me talk for a second about parables and why why we named this series what we did. Jesus did most of his talking about the kingdom of heaven using parables. It was, it was a language that he would use, and there was a reason for that. The reason is that God wants you to understand him. He wants to be known by you, and he wants you to know him. He wants you to understand how he thinks. He wants you to know what's important to him, what matters to him. He wants you to know what his kingdom is like and what his coming kingdom will be like. He desires for you to have intimacy with him, and intimacy comes through knowing. He wants to be known by you. And so often, I think we overcomplicate the things of God and assume that it has to be hard to understand in order for there to be credibility to it. In order for there to be credibility to the things of God, they've got to be a mystery to us. It's got to be just outside of our grasp to where somebody can come and make it somewhat make sense. The Pharisees loved to be that person. They, they felt important every time they had to explain a high concept of God to somebody else. They wanted that feeling. They wanted the feeling of power that came from knowing things about God that other people didn't know. 
They were gatekeeping the ideas and the heart of God. It made them feel important. And I think people still tend to do that today. I think there are some people that we may be encountered and seen that overcomplicate the heart of God, overcomplicate the kingdom of God, overcomplicate the desires of God in order to keep just enough distance between the people and God. This fulfills Isaiah's prophecy that people would be hearing but never understanding, ever seeing but never perceiving. In Isaiah 6, 9, Jesus wanted to make the things of God plain, and so he told parables. They're meant to be simple, plain allegories and stories that help us understand God in a way that makes sense in our world, or rather, in the world of the original hearers. When you read the Bible, it was always written to a specific audience, an audience long ago. It was written to them for you. It was written to them for you. So, so many of these parables are about farming, or they're about the, the world that the people Jesus was speaking to lived in, because he was speaking them to them, to the hearers of these things, it would have been a lot simpler for them to understand, but it was written also for us, to them, for us. Jesus shared the truths of the kingdom of God, oftentimes in ways that even a child could grasp. But because of their and our hardness of heart and because of the conditioning of the religious world, many in Israel and still many today would not or could not accept or grasp the truths that Jesus was communicating in the parables. Jesus addresses this fact when the disciples ask him why. They say, why do you speak in parables? Matthew 13, verse 11. He says, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them, those who didn't understand. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. But whoever does not have, even what they do have, will be taken from them. That's why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see, and though hearing, they do not hear or understand. Even the disciples often couldn't or wouldn't understand the meaning of the parables because they had always lived in a world where the things of God were intentionally made hard to grasp. So Jesus explained the parables to his disciples, sometimes in the simplest of terms. This means this. This means this. This was representing this. He wanted them to get it because he wanted us to get it. We named this series, Help Me Understand, because that's our prayer as we study God's word. Let me not overcomplicate it. Help me understand your kingdom and see it the way that you describe it. Our goal in this series is to help you understand some of the cornerstone messages of Jesus, the things that he wanted you to know about his kingdom, and understand it in a way that makes sense to us. Today we're looking at Matthew chapter 13 at the parable of the sower. We're talking about soils and seeds today. Soils and seeds. And so those Asheville micro farmers are going to be excited today as we talk about the soil. If you've got the garden, if you've got the farm, you know a little bit of something about it. Let me get out and tell this story and then we'll break it down a little bit today. A farmer went out to sow his seed, and as he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. 
But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. And the disciples heard this, and they just didn't get it. They were like, when did Jesus get so interested in farming? He's really into this right now. He's, he must have picked up a hobby at some point. Or maybe there were some people listening, and they just had asked him a question about farming, I don't know. They asked Jesus, Jesus, why do you speak in parables? Why do you tell stories like this? And he answers with some of what I just said a minute ago, but then he explains this whole parable in plain language because, again, he wants them to understand it because he wants us to understand it. It says in verse 18, Listen to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their hearts. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since persecution comes because of the word, but since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word But the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. Let's talk about the five elements of this parable today for a few moments. First, let's talk about the seed. The seed. The seed is the star of this parable. Jesus says the seed is the word, the message about the kingdom of God. It's the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the word. Jesus said just after this in Matthew 13, 31, it says he told him another parable. And he said, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and planted in his field. Though it's the smallest of seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that birds come and perch in its branches. The gospel of Jesus Christ is life. And just like a seed, it has the potential to start out as something small inside of our hearts and grow to be the very best part of our lives. Anyone who's ever grown anything will tell you that from mustard seed to tree, there's a whole lot of work that happens in between. I remember being a kid and taking the apple seeds and just thinking, I love apples. And taking the apple seeds out of the core and just putting them in a little spot in the ground in the backyard and then just wondering, where the heck is this apple tree? Why don't I have an apple tree yet? I put it in the ground. Where is the, where is the fruits of my labor? I was like 10 minutes later and I was standing there wondering, when am I going to have this tree? <laughs> I could go by my childhood house. Maybe there's apple trees all over the backyard. Probably not. Because from step one to from seed to tree, there's a lot of work that has to be done. A seed's got to be tended to, watered. It's got to be grown. It has to be in the right light in order to grow. It has to be protected from the things that would take away its light and that would take away its water. It has to have the right kind of soil. Our goal as a follower of Jesus 
Really, the mandate that Jesus has given us, the command that he left us with as he was leaving the earth and ascending into heaven, is to share this seed, to sow this seed, the good news of Jesus Christ, this message, the word, with as many people as possible. That was his call. He was preparing his followers to do the work of the church. Jesus started the church. The way that we do church, the ideas of it, the ideals behind it, they were the plan that Jesus was establishing during his ministry. It's why he was training these men. It's what he was calling and sending them to do after he left the earth. And their job was to, was to sow as many seeds of faith, as many gospel messages into as many hearts as possible because Jesus Jesus knew they weren't all going to grow. So you got to just, you got to throw a lot of seeds out there. Plant the gospel in as many hearts as possible. It was the call that he gave us. And he gave us two primary ways to do it. The first method that Jesus left us with to share the gospel is the local church. Is the local church. It was his design. He planned it. He built it. He launched it out. And so the easiest way for you to be obedient to the call of Christ in sowing seeds is to be a constant inviter, constantly bringing people with you. Bring as many people with you into this place as you can, because in this space they can encounter the presence of God, the people of God, and the message of God all at one time, and it's a powerful thing. The second way that Jesus gave you was to share your story that we see illustrated in the Gospels and in the book of Acts and on through the epistles to share your story. He says, go and tell people what you have seen. What has Jesus done in your life? Every person you're in relationship with should know what Jesus has done in your life. And this is the seed that we sow. He starts very in the beginning of this parable by explaining that this seed that we sow is the message that he came to bring. And as we scatter it, as we spread it, as we sow it into the ground, it's going to land in a few different places. It's not always going to just take root, just like it hasn't always taken root for you, just like your heart has represented many different soils. And so the soils that you sow the message of faith into will look very different from one person to the next. The first place that Jesus talks about the seed landing is the path. The path. When anyone hears this message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown into their heart. And this is the seed sown along the path. Imagine if all of your life you felt like something was missing. You just had questions that no answer would satisfy. You felt like you were made for something bigger than yourself or bigger than the life you're living. You, you've tried to find it anywhere. You tried to find it in people. You immersed yourself in your friends. You fell in love with someone and wrapped yourself and your identity all around that person. Maybe you found a platform of some kind and you clung to it, tried to build it. But ultimately, at the end of the day, whether it was people or a person, you still felt like something was missing. Maybe it was because of the people themselves. Maybe the people that you chose were the problem. And so you, you got you to gotta shift that. You, you leave those people behind and, and you find new people, different people, a different relationship, a different platform. And at the end of the day, something's still missing. Something still isn't right. So maybe you tried to find it in money. 
You just have this gap in your heart and you want it full. So you're looking and you're looking and people didn't fill it up. So maybe, maybe it's money and the security and the peace of mind that comes with it. So you pursue it. You treasure it. You invest it. You grow it. You desire it. You get it. And something is still missing. And then imagine someone invited you to church or told you about Jesus. And maybe this was it. Maybe for once it was starting to feel whole. It felt right. Something inside of you started to click. But then imagine nobody explained any of this to you. And the Bible was too confusing. And so you gave up quickly. The worship songs didn't make sense. Nobody tried to lead you to it. Or worse, there were people everywhere telling you that the way you were doing it was wrong. Maybe there was all kinds of ritual, tradition that you couldn't figure out that didn't make sense. Maybe there was one experience that broke your heart and you didn't know how to put it back together. Maybe there was a scandal. Maybe somebody was just mean. And so you walked away from your only hope at purpose, at peace, at life. And you found it somewhere else or you looked for it somewhere else. Destined to never find what you're looking for. I think this happens way too often. Seeds fall on the path. So close, but just not quite in the right place. It happens when people are searching and they don't know where to look. It happens when the place that they look doesn't show them where to get planted or tell them how. It happens when they don't take the time to listen and try to understand when their fear overcomes their desire to be found. And the enemy is waiting. He doesn't want that seed to take root. And so the first chance that your enemy gets, he'll snatch it up. He's like the birds sitting on a branch waiting for their opportunity to get some of those seeds that you're trying to sow. If you're on the path today, let me encourage you. Don't give up yet. Don't let the people and the experiences of your past keep you from the future that you were created and designed to have. If you've been searching and searching and you still haven't found what you're looking for, it's a great song. And you haven't found it anywhere else. And you started looking at Jesus, but then you stopped because it was hard and it is hard. Or because of the people or a person or an experience or the news or something you saw on social media. Don't give up. Get planted and just see what happens. Take your eyes off the people. Take your eyes off the challenge, the, the drama, just for a moment. And put your eyes on Jesus, the one it's all about. Just on him and see what you find. Find somebody to lead you through it, to guide you through it. And see if we can't move you from the path and into good soil. The next place that the seed falls is in the rocks. It says the seed falling, Jesus explains the seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. 
Maybe you've been in an environment before where the worship is powerful, the message is compelling, and you made a decision, a quick decision to follow Jesus. But in the days and the weeks and the months and the years since then, a lot of life has happened. It gets hard. We, we sometimes enter into a relationship with Jesus thinking that if this is what I've been looking for all my life, it should be an ease of life from this moment forward. Everything should fall into place and everything should be good because I got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. Where? And we're just thinking that's it. We're good now. Except Jesus says, in this world, you're going to have trouble. And he over and over reminded us that The world persecuted him, and it's going to persecute you. That the world was hard on him, and it's going to be hard on you. So it is for him, and so it will be for his followers. And we forget that, or we don't want to accept that, and we hit the hard moments. We hit all that life has been throwing at us, and it makes us want to give up and find something a little bit easier. It makes us us wonder if we found the wrong thing in the first place. A lot's happened. You've lost a lot. You've seen a lot. Questions have come up that you just can't find any answers to and it's bothering you. Maybe right now you're in this place where you're just really not sure what to believe. I get it. Maybe you were planted on the rocks. You know, we've had a problem as a people for the last few decades with being all hype, no follow-up. All hype, no follow-up. Sometimes we've been really good at growing churches and we've left some to be desired when it came to growing people. I'm guilty of that. As a result, the seed took, but the roots had nowhere to go. So when life came around and the moment passed, there was nothing left for you to hold on to. This is why we can't stop our journey at just knowing God. We can't just teach salvation. We can't put all of our focus into one moment and then think that the work is done. When we receive the good news of Jesus, it's not just about sitting back and waiting on the blessings to roll in. That's not the life he called you to. There's a lot of work to do. That's what Jesus is trying to teach us here. He didn't just invite his disciples into a moment. He didn't just invite them to follow him on a little tour and then return to their lives the way that they were before. The invitation of Jesus is permanent, it is lasting, and it involves every part of your life. Jesus invited his disciples to be with him, to become like him, and to do what he did, and to do it forever. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells his followers to go and sow the seed of his kingdom, the good news of what he's done for us, but he doesn't stop there in the Great Commission. There's a second half of it that says, teach them to observe all I have commanded you. Teach them to observe. And as a pastor, and sometimes a pastor and occasional evangelist, I'm guilty of this. I love the first part of of the Great commission. If you don't know, if you're new to church, when Jesus resurrected from the dead, he spent time with people. He taught people. He spoke to people. He would, he would reveal himself to people, sometimes one, sometimes a group in a room, and sometimes a big old crowd, so that people knew he had been resurrected from the dead. 
And, and the last day, he ascended into heaven. He, he just kind of poofed up into the clouds. And right before he did it, he gave one more speech. And we call that the Great Commission because it was the moment Jesus started the church. It was the moment he said, I've been training you, I've been teaching you, I've been giving you everything that I can, and now I'm going up there, and my Holy Spirit's coming back down here, and you and the Spirit together, you've got work to do. And he said, go and make disciples of all the nations and teach them to observe all I have commanded you. And I just, sometimes I really like the first part. It says, go, go and tell. Because I've got a loud mouth. I can tell all day. I can tell the same story. If you know me, you know this is a fact. I can tell the same story a million times without ever getting tired of it. Oh, yes. Did you guys know I was in the Coast Guard? <laughs> sure as heck was. <laughs> Stick around. You'll hear about it. I could tell the same story a million times without ever getting tired about it. But teach, teach, Ooh, that's hard work. I know there's some teachers out here today. That's hard work. Teaching is the part we have neglected the most as the church. We've been all about the go and tell. We've been, we've been avoiding the stay and teach. And I'm telling you, it's resulted in some rocky soil. This year at the gathering, I'm doing everything that I can do to make sure that we are a church that puts equal value on the sharing of the message of Jesus as it does in developing fully developed followers of Jesus. It's who we want to be. I swear, if, if I want to be known for anything when I'm all done here on this earth, just let there be a few people behind me who I've been able to help become a fully developed follower of Christ. Don't stop with the good news. I know you're excited when you hear it. I know it comes with the power of the Holy Spirit, and that is just quite a moment to feel. You're all up in the fields. You're, in, you're all in your emotions. You're, you're excited. The worship was powerful, and you're like, yes, I give my life to Jesus. But don't stop right there in that moment. Commit yourself to the slow work of spiritual formation. Get in a life group and get vulnerable. Lead a life group, please. Invite someone to personally disciple you. Personally disciple somebody else. Engage in the spiritual disciplines. If you don't know what that means, I want you to go back in our archives. Two weeks, I taught a message entirely on the spiritual disciplines. So that's a baseline. Start right there and start getting built. Don't be the rocky soil. The next soil is the thorns. The seed, Jesus says, the seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. There's a lot of us all tangled up in thorns sitting here today. Maybe you're here and you can relate to it. You believe in the message of Jesus. You felt the change that it's made in your life, but lately you just haven't felt the joy of it. In fact, maybe over the last few months it just hasn't felt right. Maybe it's the church, you think. Maybe things have changed. The world has changed. The people have changed. Maybe I need a change. Or maybe it's me. 
I'm growing and changing and this whole thing just doesn't connect with me anymore. I'm evolving as a person and the way that this is all structured, it just doesn't fit with me anymore. Maybe you've forgotten what it felt like to be the seed on the path, looking and looking and looking and not finding any peace, not finding any hope or joy or fulfillment. Maybe you've forgotten that the only place that you were ever, ever able to find those things was in relationship with Jesus. And why have you forgotten? Because life's choked it out like weeds in a garden. Like brambles taken over a hillside. The last few years have been crazy. Some days life feels normal again. And then the next day it just hits you all at once. The loss. The trauma. The way that everything is different. Everything. Everything you see and touch has changed. You've been disconnected from community. You've been missing out on things that you used to love. People have moved away that you were in community with. Your job changed. Everything's changed. And the anxiety of all of that has choked out the joy of your salvation. It's distracted you and it's confused you and it's hurt you. And you're starting to wonder if you're still getting any lights. Three things you need to know if this is you. I think this is a lot of us. And I think a lot of us are finding ourselves just trying to grow in a patch of thorns right now. Here's some roundup. First, God hasn't changed. The world has changed immensely. I mean, it's unbelievable. I try not to think about it. Maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe you just try not to think about it. But then there are days where I just can't avoid it. Everything is different. But God is exactly the same in every season. Romans eleven twenty nine. 29, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. That means that the calling that he placed on your life in 2004 is the same calling that exists in your life today. It means that the calling and the, the gifts that he's given you and the way that he's called you to use them are exactly as needed and necessary and real in 2022 as they were the day you received them. God hasn't changed. His calling on your life hasn't changed. His dreams for your life haven't changed. The plans he has for you haven't changed. Hebrews 13, 8 says Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. He has seen the world change many, many, many times. He's seen empires rise and fall. He has seen civilizations crumble and he is still the same. And what it means to worship and honor and serve him is the same in every culture. Malachi 3, 6, for I the Lord do not change, and therefore you, children of Jacob, are not consumed. God hasn't changed. The same God who rescued you, who met you in your lowest place, and pulled you up with his righteous right hand, is with you today. The world around us is changing faster than it has in most of our lifetimes, but God hasn't changed. He's for you. He's listening to you. He wants to know you more. You may have changed, but God is the same. The joy and the peace and the fulfillment he brings your life remains the same. Number two, keep your eyes off the world and on Jesus. You've got to look at the world sometimes so you don't run into stuff, so that you know how to reach it. That's why you look at the world. You look at the world around you so that you know how to bring hope and life into it. You look at the world around you so you know where the darkest places are, follower of Jesus, so that you can carry the light into them. 
Keep your eyes off the world because it is not your home and it is not where you belong. It is not the place where you are planted. It is not the place you were made to grow. Do not keep all of your attention and your focus in the world that is crumbling around you. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching this great sermon and he's summing up really all of his thoughts in one message. And at the end of it, he says this, why are you so worried about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow? They don't labor or spin. And yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all of his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what do we eat? What do we drink? What do we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father already knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. The world is is always going to be there, and it's always going to have trouble, and it's always going to have things for you to worry about. God knows what your needs are. He knows where you are at. He knows about COVID. He knows about the culture you're living in. He knows how divisive it is. He knows what it's like at your Thanksgiving table. He knows what it's like. He knows. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Maybe you're worried about more than provision, more than clothes, more than food. That's okay. Our God is in all those other things as well. So take your eyes off this world and keep them fixed on him. Seek his kingdom first. Pursue his righteousness and everything else is going to fall into place. Third thing is this. He's the only one who can restore your joy. He is the only one who can restore your joy. Our God is a God of restoration. So maybe you're feeling broken down. Maybe you've lost too much. But God can and will restore you. David prays in Psalm 51, 12, restore me to the joy of my salvation. Pray that prayer and God will answer it today. John 16, 22 says, you also, so also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Because in the presence of Jesus, there is joy. Psalm 16, 11, it says, You make known to me the path of life, and in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants to bring you into his presence. He wants to build you up. He wants to grow you. He wants to give you his joy. He wants to restore you. Whatever the world has taken from you, God wants to restore for you in this life or the next. He can do it. Stay in his presence. Get out of the weeds of this life and get in the soil that is rich and full and filled with blessing. Last thing that Jesus talks about is the soil, the good soil. Jesus says, but the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. And this is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred or sixty 30 times what was shown. Maybe, maybe it's time for you to change the soil of your heart. I'm not a farmer. 
In fact, I know very little about farming or even gardening. I bought a basil plant at Ingalls one time and I planted it in my yard and it died that night. Here's what I know. The quality of the crop depends upon the quality of the soil. That's what the whole parable is about. A plot of land on a farm could have four different kinds of soil on it. What does a farmer do if he's got a field and the soil isn't right? Does he just say, I guess that's that. We'll just, we'll just throw all this corn out here and just where it grows, it grows. I don't think that's what they do. I don't know for sure. I see them out there with those big old tractors turning up that soil. See, I think when the soil isn't right, what the farmer does is make it right. They plow that field. They work that soil. They spray that roundup. Unless it's organic. And then they buy ladybugs, I think. Not, not entirely sure how it works. My point is this. Just because your soil isn't right doesn't mean it has to stay that way. Just because the gospel message of Jesus landed on your heart and then it got choked up by the thorns or it landed on your heart and never had a chance to go deep and it got burned up by the sun or maybe it never quite landed on your heart. It just got close and the enemy came and snatched it away before it could take root in your life. It doesn't matter what kind of soil your heart has been. It can be made good. The work has to be done. You gotta let God turn that soil in your life a little bit. You gotta release some things. You gotta let go of some things. You gotta do some work to understand sometimes. You gotta get in the right place and around the right people. Can I tell you that I think that inside this church, here at the Gathering Church, there is a lot of really good soil that you can get planted in. The right kind of people, the right kind of place, the right environment for you to grow. So get planted. Do the work to get planted in the good soil today because that's God's desire for you. His desire for you is that you would grow, that you would produce a crop even greater than what was sown in you. Jesus is telling this story in a very matter-of-fact way. This is the way it is. This is the way it is. The seeds don't always fall on good soil. I read this parable sometimes and it releases me a little bit from feeling like I just always have to make people receive the gospel. Not everyone who hears the message of Jesus ends up changed. But Jesus ends the parable like this. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Whoever's got ears to hear, let them hear. Do you know what that means? It means the soil of your heart can change. If you're hearing this today and you understand it and you know what kind of soil you're in, you know where you've been, you know what's kept you from him, you know what slowed you down, you know which direction you're going in and you hear it and you can hear it. You can, you can hear the soft whisper of his spirit saying, you can change. Or you can hear it. You can hear the message of Jesus saying, this is still for you. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. If you can hear it, it's not too late. You can change the soil. You can do something about it. So what soil are you planted in? 
What soil are you planted in today? And what are you going to do to get in the good soil? There's a few different ways you can respond to that. But let me lead you through the first way first. First way is this. If you're here today and you have been on the path or, or maybe one of these other places and it's never really taken root and you're ready to get in some good soil, you're, you're, just, you're ready to feel peace. You're ready to feel at home somewhere. You're ready to have the hole, that, that gap, that wanting in your heart filled. We just all wake up wanting. We just push for it all of our lives, trying to fill that desire. And the only place is in a relationship with Jesus. And if you're in here today and you're just finally coming to that realization, then this is the moment. Let's put you in the good soil right now. Let's let you grow. Let's water it. Let's see what happens if you're given the opportunity to know him better and better each day. If you're in this space and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, it is as simple as this. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You start with a prayer. There's a lot of work that comes after the prayer we learned today. But it begins with a little, a little prayer. It's a commitment. And it's the biggest commitment you'll ever make, but it's just a few words. All the work has been done for you at a place we call Calvary. All the work was done for you. Jesus made a way for you to have relationship with God by taking away all your sins and bringing them on himself. Every mistake you've ever made, everything that's ever separated you from God landed on Jesus on that cross. And when he died, he took your penalty so that you wouldn't have to face it. And then three days later, he resurrected from the grave. And with it, he brought the keys to death in his hand. And he says, anybody who enters into relationship with me doesn't have to taste death. And so, all you have to do is accept the gift he's offering you. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, forgive me for my sin. Forgive me for every mistake. Forgive me for trying to do it on my own for so long. I give myself to you all that I am from this day forward. Good days, bad days, all of it. I am yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.